Fruit to your glory. Morning, everyone. Morning. Special welcome to those who are new to the college and uh, here in chapel for the first time. Very exciting. Uh, there are, I respond differently when I read the Bible, so sometimes a verse makes me go, hmm, and other times it makes me go, aha. And on other occasions, it, uh, um, it makes me go, yikes. So there's a kind of yikes bit in the reading today, which we'll get to later on. I'm sure you noticed. Uh, so Psalm 3, we're in our series on the Psalms. And there's a heading in this one, of course, and about uh, Absalom and uh, uh, David being in trouble. There's some kind of national crisis for the king going on and his supporters, uh, he and his supporters are being driven out of the city and there's some kind of coup taking place. So at one level it's hard for us to kind of connect with the psalm. Uh, for those of us in leadership, occasionally there's a bit of a minor coup. Mike Bird tries something or other, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it doesn't usually come to anything. <laughs> and, uh, but for most of us it's hard to connect, but I think the psalms are, are terrific in the sense that the details are very easy for us to uh, connect with at one level or another. So this is a psalm with the volume turned up, if you like. And uh, there are some of us who uh, will have difficulty identifying with this, uh, the sentiments in the psalm. Other of us, uh, others among us perhaps uh, not, so we'll see. Uh, the short version is that uh, David's in danger and he sought God's help. So all of us are at different points in danger and seek God's help. So that's the entry point, I think, into this psalm. How are we to pray and trust God in times of trouble? Um, more seriously, I have had in my uh, life to this point some times where I've felt um, abandoned and uh, betrayed and there is a sense in which I can identify at some level with the psalm and thoughts of uh, revenge and helplessness and turmoil are the kinds of things that run through our minds and uh, emotions at those times. So there are three things, it's a sermon after all, uh, to learn from this psalm. And uh, the first is in verses 1 and 2, and I think I'd put it this way. We should expect to face opposition in life and especially to our faith. Have a look, three times you get the words many, and uh, they're even in the Hebrew, so uh, I check that, um, just for the Old Testament people here. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? And then we're given the answer, many, there you go, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And it's a feature of the Psalms that they quote um, someone or other, sometimes themselves, sometimes enemies. And uh, we get the feeling here that something really difficult is going on uh, for David. And, and uh, um, I've, in my up and down spiritual life, the Psalms have always been important. And um, this is something I hope you all realise. You just will not survive as a Christian without the Psalms. So you need to be reading the Psalms regularly. Um, most years I have a different Bible reading plan. The one I tend to come back through is the three bookmark plan. One in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament and one in the Psalms. And uh, easily distracted as I am, I'll just dip in at any one of those three points. But the Psalms are the daily diet, I hope, of all God's people. So this opening in formal terms is a lament. 
It's where the psalmist cries out to God in complaint. And uh, many of our prayers are not like that, of course. We're much more polite in our prayers, unless we get in a situation of turmoil and opposition and trouble, and then lament can come to mind. And it's a wonderful thing that God provides this example for us, uh, because lament is not so much a crisis of faith as it's a crisis of understanding. How can this be happening? Where's God? And that's exactly what uh, the uh, horrible enemies of David are saying. God will not deliver him. Now, um, I should acknowledge that there are some people in our community who have experienced much more serious opposition to them and to their faith than others. And, and some of those are in what we call the uh, NESB community. Yep, the non-English speaking background students that in past years have studied on Wednesday night and some of whom are now in our community. So people from South Sudan, from the Karen community, uh, some also from Iran, the Persian community. And some of them have faced this kind of persecution. So we, we ought not to think that we're just talking about minor slights Um, It could well connect with some people in direct ways. Uh, But it's easy to think God is not in action when we're in trouble. We can feel dispirited, disappointed and rejected. And I think uh, opposition to Christians, uh, we're still, for most of us, not in any sense persecuted. But it is on the rise and we do, to quote the Ridley Shtick, uh, live in an increasingly complex and oh, I missed it. Uh, what is it? Uh, increase, yeah, and changing world. That's it. Yeah, an increasingly complex and, tra- and changing world. Rapidly changing. Thank you. <laughs> that was a test, actually. Um, so, w- with respect, though, to the specific is- issue of suffering as a Christian, it's important to face this question: uh, Do people know you're a Christian? Yep. So here's your opportunity if you're at Bible college. There's nothing that'll get a stronger and more rapid response than, oh, what do you do? I go to Bible college. Yeah. So there'll be a lull in the conversation and uh, then there might be a few more questions. So I encourage you, friends, uh, just put it, put it right out there. And we, 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 we're different personalities, aren't we? So it, some of us are more upfront, some of us are more uh, conflict-averse. And I confess, uh, when I'm sitting in the in the barber's chair and they say what do I do sometimes I've said I'm an academic pathetic eh so you can kind of hide your light under a bushel and uh, not admit and it's uh, be much more difficult to say I'm an Anglican priest now not all of us of course are evangelists but we are all called to promote the gospel to uh, commend the gospel through the way we live through our um, answering of questions and so on and it's easy nowadays too to duck difficult conversations isn't it so recently I got an invitation from the Gippsland Diocese uh, to go to Raymond Island uh, um, for their clergy retreat and I was to speak on a topic which would be very controversial. I'd be very unpopular in the room. And I was uh, very quickly checked my diary and I was too busy. Mm-hmm. But uh, Richard Trist told me I had to do it. So you just have to do things sometimes. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm heading off. So that just, just to admit up front that, this, that facing difficulty as a Christian is something that can be avoided. And I encourage you not to do so. 
Um, Christianity, of course, has much to say about opposition, suffering, hardship, and my basic point not to be surprised when we face opposition is something the Bible treats so helpfully throughout. Uh, My favourite text in the New Testament says exactly that. In 1 Peter, do not be surprised. There you go. At the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is what we should expect. And as Christians, the reason is because of our connection with the suffering Messiah, the crucified Christ. And the next verse goes on to say, Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So uh, that's another sermon. But in this psalm, we get something that's kind of more general in response. Really simple points, but I think they're, they're helpful. Here we learn two lessons about how to respond when we face opposition. Uh, in verses 3 to 6, we learn, if we feel afraid and dejected, we should cry out to God for help. Um, it's kind of a duh moment, but uh, it's worth saying. And it's interesting to see how David does this. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head. So in, in, in terms of psalm study, we move from lament to what they call confidence. And glory here is probably uh, a reference, uh, a title of God. Um, uh, but David's saying, I'm going to keep my eyes on God, his plans for me, for God's people, for the world. He's the one who lifts my head. Uh, It was obviously very high stakes for David, uh, if we read between the lines. Uh, His throne and life and kingdom were at stake. And uh, what David is saying here is that God would spare his life. God would deliver him, even though they'd taunted him that God wouldn't. And the king knew that he would return to the royal city with his head held high. Verse 4, I call out to the Lord. And he answers me from his holy mountain. So we get this moment here, we're going to hear exactly what God will answer him with. And it's kind of a bit of a letdown, to be honest. Verse 5. I lie down and sleep, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. So the answer to David's desperate prayer is a good night's sleep. Um, My response is, really, is that it? I mean, we'll read on. But uh, it seems like a very small thing, doesn't it? Uh, David praises God for sustaining him through the night. Uh, He will still pray for complete deliverance later in the psalm. But I think uh, the lesson here is that small mercies are to be acknowledged. A good night's sleep, brought on by the confidence of God's watchful care. Remember the end of Psalm 1 and uh, the notion of being known by God. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. That's the basis on which David can sleep. So, friends, I think we should thank God for small mercies um, when we're facing opposition in particular, uh, when we're in turmoil. And we should also be God's small mercies uh, to others facing opposition and difficulty. We might be a listening friend, send an unexpected gift, offer to bring a meal over, send them a text message. So God's protection of David... Uh, in this crisis leads him to greater confidence and uh, it seems a bit over the top really but uh, verse 6 I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side now that was a good night's sleep eh? (laughs) (laughs) so uh, if the sleep seems small see what it leads to it's a bold expression of faith and trust in God even even in the midst of turmoil nothing's changed at this point 
He's still in turmoil. He's still at risk. But this is the confidence that he is able to express. So first thing we learn is that we should expect to face opposition, especially to our faith. Secondly, here we saw that if we feel afraid and dejected, we should cry out to God for help. We should lament effectively. It's also a book in that which uh, the faculty contributed to. Is it available at the front desk? It is. Um, we sh- and the thirdly, we should pray for God's full and final deliverance. Here's the yikes verse. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Now, this seems violent, almost vicious, vindictive. The head, of course, is the vulnerable part of the body, as you'll know from any combat sport or any uh, action movie. And uh, we even have a similar idiom, if someone cops it in the teeth. That's a familiar idiom. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. So, is this sub-Christian? Is this teaching something we should avoid? Is it something we should even uh, remove? It's known in in technical terms as imprecation, bringing a curse almost, although this one's quite mild, to be honest, compared to some others in the Psalms. One of the Psalms in the lectionary has a really heavy couple of verses and it's left out of the lectionary. You can ask some Anglo nerds what a lectionary is later. And after all, Jesus said, do good to those who hate you, uh, forgive others. So is, is this kind of sentiment a violation of the ethic of non-retaliation, which Jesus taught and embodied so strikingly? Is it just the human expression of a desperate psalmist? Should we just say, yeah, well, I imagine he's really in bad straits here, and a bit over the top, but... Uh, you can see what he's wanting. Well, I think there are several things to say, and um, none of it's going to be completely satisfactory, just a little spoiler alert. Uh, but the, the things that I think need to be said are these. One, there is great value in expository preaching because it forces you to preach these texts. This is no one's fridge magnet te- text. No one uses this text as a memory verse in Sunday school. Okay? But it's in the Bible. And we believe that the Bible's inspired and profitable for us. The next thing to say is that I think David's deliverance, not sure whether to say this or not, but necessarily involves violence. He's in a, he's in a, he's in a violent situation. People are coming after him. So the language is very strong. Uh, we've got to recall the depths of his plight, the threefold many and his desperation, and and the stakes are high. The kingdom of God, if you like, is what's at stake. So we could, he could have put it less offensively, uh, more clinically, could have said, Lord, you will enable the king and his subjects to prevail. Yep, kind of what you might read in the prayer book. But uh, it, not, not to speak against the prayer book, of course. <laughs> uh, but, but it doesn't say that, does it? And this is, this is one of the great things about the Psalms. It's raw and the emotions on the surface. And the truth is his enemies do probably need to be killed for him to be delivered from this situation. And he is confident of a great deliverance. And in one sense, these are the enemies of God and his kingdom. They're God's Messiah kings enemies. So I think that's an important distinction. This is not a personal thing 
for David necessarily. Uh, it probably feels personal, but it's, it's about something much bigger. Um, now, how do we join the dots to our day? Well, I, I think the thing to notice here, and this opens up the question of the judgment and the wrath of God in the Bible, and I've had very close friends leave the faith over this doctrine. When I was a student in Cambridge, there was a woman in our Bible study group who ended up um, leaving, uh, dear friends. So it's a difficult one, we want to acknowledge that. I think there's a, there's a kind of hint here as to how to understand the judgment of God in this kind of setting. And it's, uh, I'm in Romans at the moment, it's in Psalm 3, you won't be surprised. Uh, I have to feel sorry for the radio announcers who have to fill every gap. Yep, that must be a skill I don't have. Um, Lord, uh, where are we? Ah oh, yes, how many of my foes, how many rise up? Okay, this might seem like a, a small matter, but that's all I've got. So, rising up, what does God then do in our verse? He rises up in verse 7. So there's a kind of uh, connection between the crime and the punishment, if you like. God rises up because David's enemies have arisen. And this is actually true of the doctrine of judgment throughout the Bible. In, in the book of Genesis, the question is asked, will not the God of all the earth do justly? And that sets the tone for the justice of God through the Bible. And right through the Psalms, this comes out too. So there's a kind of measured appropriateness of the judgment of God. God's enemies have arisen, God will arise. In other Psalms, I think Psalm 64, they're shooting arrows at David, they'll have arrows shot at them. The arrows are metaphorical for, for evil words. Um, in the Psalms, I love the, the one where the psalmist prays, may the one who's dug a pit for me to fall into it, fall into it himself. Yep. So there's a kind of, uh, when God judges, and I'm convinced this will be the case on the final day of judgment, we will all nod in agreement. We won't be thinking, whew, that's over the top. Whatever we make of the teaching about the judgment of God in the Bible, it will be shown to be just. The harshest verse in Paul's letters on judgment is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And in that verse, it says, earlier than the harsh bit, it says, God will pay back trouble for trouble. Yep, measured appropriateness. So that's how I stay a believer um, on this score, this difficult matter of the wrath and anger of God. Uh, Miroslav Volf, uh, a brilliant, uh, uh, I think he's Yale theologian, uh, was also a Croat in the Yugoslav wars that burst open in the late 20th century, it was the 80s, I think. So the Croats and the Serbs started fighting. Uh, I'll read a, a brief quote from him. He, he says, I used to think that wrath was unworthy of God. Isn't God love? Shouldn't divine love be beyond wrath? God is love and loves every person, every creature. That is exactly why God is wrathful and against some of them. My last resistance to the idea of God's wrath was a casualty of the war in former Yugoslavia, the region from which I come. According to some estimates, 200,000 people were killed, 3 million displaced. Yep. See, our problem with this doctrine, in part at least, is that we live in a society of, uh, which has a veneer of polite civility. We just don't realise the extent of human evil throughout the world and throughout human history. And then finally, Romans 12 actually shows 
that there is not necessarily a contradiction between non-retaliation and the justice of God and taking comfort in the final deliverance and justice of God. So Romans 12, I'm in the wrong page again. No, I'll never make a radio announcer. You've got, uh, in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Yep. But read on. It says, verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends. What's the rest of the verse say in verse 19? Leave room for God's wrath. So there is a sense in which when we are um, treated badly by others, we're to respond as the Lord Jesus did, forgiving. But there's still room, especially in egregious cases where people have really been hurt, to take some comfort and consolation in the fact that one day justice will be done and the world will be put right. And I think this verse in our psalm can actually be a means to not taking revenge and responding aggressively because we have confidence that God will, in the end, bring justice to our world. In the meantime, we thank God for his mercy to our own lives. So, um, now, the deliverance of which is, uh, David speaks doesn't always happen for us, does it? So we should admit that. So the timing of the deliverance is the only question for us as believers. Nonetheless, we should surrender retribution and justice uh, to God. Ultimately, remember, as verse 8 puts it, from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Now, this remembers the first part of the psalm too, because remember the first part of the psalm, they were having a go at David and saying, God will not deliver him. So the point here is, it's not just about vindictiveness, it's about vindication. It's about God's vindication. His honour is at stake in this action about which we're reading. So that taunt at the beginning, they were wrong. Because, as verse 8 says, from the Lord will come deliverance. So, friends, we can have confidence in the face of even increasing opposition. Praise God for his protection. Thank God for small mercies. And when we're opposed by many adversaries, we should pray with confidence for deliverance and count his small mercies in the meantime. May your blessing be on your people. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Brian. Uh, like you mentioned, there are often times to avoid opposition.